like I said to the first service, uh, it's funny being on this end um, of the aisle, being here. But good morning, CPC. Uh, for those who don't know me, like David said, my name is Vaughn Volius, and I work for the College Ministry Campus Outreach. And I have the honor and the privilege uh, to share God's amazing word with you all today. The past couple weeks, we've been working our way through the sermon series, Union with Christ. And each week, we have focused on a specific aspect of our union. Week one, we looked at how in our union with Christ, we are blessed with blessings. Last week, we heard in this union, we are participants in Jesus's life and death and that our walk with him bears a cross. This week, we will look at our identity in our union with Christ. So what is identity? Identity is who we are or who we believe we are. This morning, we will look at two examples of how our union with Christ changes our identity. First, our preach on how our union with Christ makes us children of God. Then Noah will preach on how our union makes us holy. Turn with me to Galatians 4, and let's see how our union with Christ makes us children of God. So I'm going to read um, from verse 4 through 7. Verse 4 through 7. So it's not a long passage for us this morning, um, but that's Galatians 4, 4 through 7. And it says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of the woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Let's pray together. Lord, I pray that you would speak through me as we look to the beauty of union with your son. I pray that your word would draw us closer to yourself and that you would use it to transform us. I pray all of this in your precious name, Lord, and pray that you would get all the glory. Amen. So let's jump in. Our first point is as children of God, we are redeemed from under the law and are in God's family. And so what we're about to do is we're about to see how all of this comes together. Paul at the beginning of this passage says that God sent his son that we may be redeemed from under the law and receive adoption as sons. But why? Why did we need God's son to come and live under the law? Why did we need to be redeemed from under the law? Why did we need to receive adoption as sons? The answer is we were orphans outside of God's family which means we were under the law. Verse five tells us as children, we have been redeemed from under the law. Under the law, Paul is saying to the Galatians and to us, the law shackles us because God requires perfect obedience to the law. I was actually talking to Devin about my sermon a little bit. And as I was kind of sharing this point, Devin said, um, that's right. God only has perfect sons and daughters. And as I began to think on that, I began to see if our lives, or you put our lives on the backdrop of the law, that we fall horribly short of this standard. And without any help, 
we stand condemned. Church, we need to be brought in. We need to be bought back, set free from under the law. And we cannot do that ourselves. We are in desperate need of help. And God meets this very need. So how does God do it? Paul tells us right here in verse four and five. God sent forth his son, born of the woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Church, God sent his son to live a perfect life that we couldn't, died a death that we truly deserved so that an orphan like you and me will be brought into his family where he would love us as his very own children. No longer condemned, but redeemed. Now, because of being redeemed, we have a different relationship with the law now. It says that we are no longer under the law, but now because of Jesus, we are under grace. This is the best news, church. We don't look at the law with fear anymore, as if we're standing at the bottom of Mount Everest, knowing we need to get to the top without gear or training. But we look at it now through grace because Jesus accomplished what the law required in the way we never could. And even though the law is helpful for the believer, what this means is that our justification, our relationship with God is not weighed against the law, but is bathed in the grace of Jesus. So now the question that remains is, What does it mean that you are a child of God? The answer to this question takes us to verse six. And it says, and because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. This is our second point. As children of God, we have the son's spirit that cries, Abba, Father. Church, catch this. Paul is saying that now that we have been adopted, God has given us his son's spirit, which has radically changed and transformed our relationship with him. It's changed from enmity to intimacy. You have been given the son's spirit where you now can call upon God as father and he sees you as his child, not his enemy. Church, along with that, This may be hard to believe, but the Son's Spirit that has been placed in our hearts gives us the same relationship God has with his beloved Son. Church, hear this again. The Son's Spirit that has been placed in our hearts gives us the same relationship God has with his beloved Son, Jesus. The deep love that we see in the scriptures between Jesus In God, the joyful and intimate relationship that is on display because we have been adopted, because we have been redeemed from under the law, and we have been given the Son's Spirit, we have the same relationship today in our union with Christ. With this being said, this should give us great and full confidence that we can call out to God as our dad, as our father. And this is not awkward or weird, but it is fitting because that is what a child calls their parent. 
we can draw near to the throne with confidence. Like the author of Hebrews says, we can pray and we can call out to God as our father, as the Lord's prayer models and mean it and not trivially or reluctantly recite it. This means with our new identity of being children of God, a new identity of being children of God grants us. It grants us a loving, a caring, a close relationship where we can call the creator of all things father and he calls us his children. So this takes us to our final point, uh, which we see in verse seven, and it says, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Church, not only are we children of God, but as children of God, we are heirs. This is our third and final point. As children of God, we are heirs. In addition to our identity being changed, we are also promised a reward, an inheritance. So what is this inheritance? First, we must answer, what is an heir? An heir is a recipient of what belongs to their parents. So the inheritance is the belongings of said parent. Thus, as children of God, we receive all that belongs to God. With God being the creator of all things, This means everything that is his is now ours, is now yours as his children. Growing up, one of my favorite Disney movies was and is the movie The Lion King. And I believe it gives us a helpful picture of being an heir. As we know, Mufasa, the king of Pride Rock, um, in one of the scenes is up early with his son, Simba. And as the sun rises and begins to touch the plane, Mufasa looks at his son, Simba, and says, Simba, everything that the light touches uh, is our kingdom. And he goes on to say that one day, this will all be Simba's. In which Simba replies, and this will all be mine? And Mufasa responds with one word. And he says, everything. CBC, because of our adoption, We have been brought into his family. And as children of God, we are heirs. And that is all that is his is ours in Christ. More than that, all that belongs to God, the inheritance that we have received and will receive in full is the father himself. Our inheritance isn't just what he gives, but is the giver. I pray, church, that we would know that this inheritance we have is, as Peter says, imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. And that we may hope and desire, hope and desire our inheritance as the psalmist does in Psalm 27:4. One thing I ask of the Lord is that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon his beauty to inquire in his temple church in our union with Christ we are heirs to a promise the promise of everything that is Jesus's and being with our heavenly father forever so as we wrap up our union with Christ changes our identity this union is one of adoption 
We are now children of God. One of freedom from law, the law's condemnation. One of a joyful, intimate relationship with God of the universe as our father. And on top of all of this, one where we are recipients of an inheritance that is glorious and will never fade. Let us pray. Lord, thank you for the love that you showed by sending forth your son that we may become children of God. I pray that we, by your grace, would take full advantage of the relationship we have with you in Christ. I pray all of this in your precious name. Amen and amen. Now I'll pass it over to Noah as he comes up to preach on the second example of how our union with Christ changes our identity. Come on up, brother. Good morning. It's good to be with you all. Uh, Like Vaughn said, my name is Noah. Um, Excited to be able to preach the word this morning. And also excited, man, for my brother, Jaden, who got baptized this morning, man. That that really blessed me. And so, uh, welcome to the family of God. Uh, Following Jesus, bro, is the best decision you could ever make. And so, uh, thankful to be able to have witnessed that. Keeping on with the, uh, the topic of adoption, um, my wife and I, we've been blessed with, with two children of our own, uh, but we've discussed in the past that we uh, would possibly like to adopt someday. Uh, and specifically, we've talked about international adoption. And um, in talking about that, we've done some, some research, talked to some people, and when you begin to ask questions about the process and what all it entails, one of the things that you find out is how costly adoption can be uh, from a financial perspective. Uh, the average cost for international adoption ranges from $20,000 to $40,000. And that is a collection of different expenses that include documentation, travel fees, pro- and program fees, and many other fees. I thought it was interesting in thinking about our spiritual adoption that I see some parallels when it comes to um, adoption and how we see it in our culture. And when you look at the word of God, it informs us that our spiritual adoption is also a costly process. This process is known as redemption. Everybody say redemption. The word redeem, you can, which is sort of the root word of the word redemption, means to buy out. This term was used specifically in reference to the purchase of a slave's freedom. And so let's say in a culture of slavery, uh, if Vaughn was my cousin and I wanted to free Vaughn from slavery, I had the option to figure out how much it cost to free him. And I would then be responsible to come up with that money and present it to his owner and then I could free him. I could buy him out. And it's interesting that the word of God says that we as the people of God are redeemed because what God is saying to us is that we at one point were slaves. Some of you are like, well, when was I a slave? Help me out, Noah. 
Well, the word of God tells us that we were at once slaves to sin. Sin had a hold on us. And because of that, we were separated from God. But God has cashed out our freedom through the blood of Christ. Our freedom cost Jesus his life. His blood was shed on our behalf. In Colossians 1, verse 13 through 14, it says, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son. In him, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. That's good news. In him whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Paul, in the book of 1 Corinthians, is trying to encourage a young church. He tells them in chapter 6, verses 19 through 20, he says, or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you. As people of God, Holy Spirit resides in us. God seals us with his spirit. The spirit is our helper. And we are a holy people set apart. Paul says, whom you have from God. Then he says, you are not your own, Cola, Prez. You have a new identity. You're not your own. For you were bought with a price. Reminding them this idea of being redeemed. For you were bought with a price. So what? So glorify God in your body. Jesus purchased us. In our union with Christ, we are a purchased people. We belong to God. We belong to God. When someone makes a purchase, whether that be at Walmart, whether you're buying a house, whether you're buying a car, whether you're buying a pair of shoes, in that moment, you instantly become the owner of that object. It just comes with the territory of buying. You are the owner. In 1 Corinthians 6, Paul is trying to help this young church understand what they can and cannot do now that they profess Christ as their Lord. So they were struggling, right? Because like us, we've come out of the world. Now we're in Christ. We've been baptized. We have a new identity. And so now they're asking, all right, Paul, help us out. What can and can I not do? I'm confused about this particular thing. The main topic that Paul was addressing here was sexual ethics. 
Paul, what can I do and cannot do with my body? His response to them is that what they do with their bodies ultimately matters to God because their bodies don't belong to them. That's where you start. In your union with Christ, you are not your own. They have been purchased. And because they've been purchased, they are to glorify God in, our, in their bodies. So how do we glorify God in our bodies? Well, we as Christians are made holy, set apart, but in our relationship with Christ, we are called to pursue holiness in our sanctification. Here's the thing. This is not optional for the Christian. As parents, you guys know that some kids, uh, we don't give certain rules to some kids and certain rules to other kids. You live in my house, everybody abides by the same rules. To pursue holiness means that we submit our thoughts, our actions, our bodies, and all that we do to the word of God. It is our final authority. This is what it means to become more like Christ. We take seriously the command to fight sin. We don't play with sin. Jesus has freed us from sin. We don't run back to the very thing we've been freed from. One of my heroes in the faith is Pastor Reader, Harry Reader. Uh, he passed away early this year in May. I miss him. Got a chance to serve under his ministry for a couple years. One of the things that he would say often was sin is not to be managed, but is to be mortified. Sin is not to be managed, but it is to be mortified. Colossians 3, we read earlier. David and I did not talk about this, so you know the spirit is at work. But in Colossians 3, it says to put to death all that is earthly in you. Put to death all that is earthly, all that is sinful, the things that God has freed you from. Paul says it is your job to put it to death, to fight sin. We don't compromise with sin. Our job is to kill it through the power of the Holy Spirit. In Romans 6, verses 20 through 22, it says, for when, you were, for, for when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. You didn't live by any standards. You didn't have a standard. You did what you wanted to do. But he says, but what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? Sin doesn't satisfy. It might look good. It might taste good. But ultimately, it leaves you empty. And Paul says it brings you shame. For the end of those things is death, separates you from God. And if you die in your sin, 
Paul says you will spend eternity apart from God. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and in its end, eternal life. We go from being slaves to sin to now being slaves of God as purchased people. I call that good slavery. It's good slavery. The reality is because of our union with Christ, we have access to a host of identity markers. We read that in the, in the word of God that we are, uh, we are a new creation. We're a royal priesthood. This morning, you got to hear that you are sons and daughters. You've been adopted. You've also got to hear that the fact that you are a purchased people. Your body does not belong to you. You don't belong to yourself. The reality is, is these identity markers help us to understand how we relate to God and how we are to how we are supposed to engage the world around us. For the Christian, it can be challenging for us to consider all of the identity markers listed in Scripture. It's a lot to keep up with, but each identity marker is ultimately a blessing from God. It's a blessing from God. One, to have a new identity and for it to be um, so robust. And I believe the more we meditate and reflect on these identity markers, I believe it will ultimately strengthen our daily walk with Christ. The word of God says you are a son and daughter, but you are also a slave, a purchased people. There's tension there. but both have meaning and both have significance when it comes to your union with Christ. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you, Father, for uh, this time. We thank you for your word. We thank you for this church. We thank you for how the scriptures speak to us. Uh, Lord, we thank you that we are sons and daughters. And in your kindness, Lord, you have made us slaves to righteousness. Lord, we do not belong to ourselves, but we belong to you. And that is a privilege. Lord, I'm thankful that I belong to you. Thank you, Father. So I pray that you would help us to live uh, in light of that, to, to live out what that means in our daily walk with you. Help us to be encouraged, Father, that you have given us your spirit and that you empower us, Father, to live in a way that reflects your glory to the onlooking world. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.